The Fiona. Episode 196. The one where we talk about spacesuit Jesus. The Theonauts Podcast. Christian news from around the globe. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Explore the vast reaches of God's word. Hey, all you council persons out there, I am David Gaddy. I'm Jeremiah Orr. And together we are... The Theonauts! The Theonauts! Welcome! How you doing, man? Hey. <laughs> Two weeks in a row, I'm so proud of us. Oh, this yes. Is, uh, this is cause for celebration. Back in the saddle again. Again. That's right. <laughs> awesome, awesome, awesome. So how you doing, David? Good. It's been a good week. Can't complain too much. Uh, yeah, oh, I, my week's been pretty solid, too. I got, Go ahead. I got my S2000 back. Ooh, yeah, it's, fancy. It's been, it's been down in the shop. And she is now functional That's... again. Got a new paint job and everything. Really? Yeah. You got a new paint job on her? Yeah. She had. Uh, I had backed her into a uh, a tree. <laughs> right. I remember that. And uh, and so I had the, her rear end replaced, and the guy was like, "Well, what about all these other little places on the car?" There was one place on the side where someone had ran into me. I don't know how that happened, but anyway, I was like, okay, yeah, let's fix it all. And so they had to repaint the whole car. And so he, he ordered the wrong paint code. It's still Honda S 2000 paint code, but it's not the same one I had. (laughs) Wow. So, so, so she's a lighter silver now, but I like it. It's really good. I had him paint the, uh, all the emblems black. So, Wow, yeah. that's sweet. Yeah, man, you've had nothing but uh, car troubles lately, so that must feel nice to uh, get the S two thousand yes, back. Yes, dude. so my <laughs> my occasional jaunt down to Dallas is going to be a lot more enjoyable than it is in the uh, in the Jeep. So, <laughs> in Ruby, Ruby. What's the name of your S two thousand? I forget. Abigail. Abigail. I named, I named right. her after my after King David's favorite wife, or my favorite wife of King David. <laughs> <laughs> Out of all the wives he had, that's the best story of Abigail. That's awesome. We, we should do the story of Abigail sometime. On- Dude, I'm I'm straight up down with Abigail. Um, you know that's a that's an incredible story. So who who then is your least favorite of David's wives? Uh, Let me guess. Saul's daughter. What's her name? Uh, is it Michael? Yeah. It's hard. To, it's hard to actually break down and and pronounce it, Michael, because that just sounds like a guy, that just sounds like a guy's name, uh, <laughs> Michelle. That's what. <laughs> let's just call her Michelle. <laughs> okay. So yeah, I don't. She's probably my least favorite. Like there is a really cool love story happening in the part of that because Saul gives her to him early on, and he wants her back, <laughs> but he goes and steals her. <laughs> from her, 
from the husband that <laughs> so Saul gives yeah. Saul gives her to David. Then he reneges on the on the deal and deal, yeah. And gives her to some other guy. Who, well, and and not only that, David paid a hefty price tag oh, yeah. for that. Uh, just that just a couple too. hundred foreskins. Yeah, <laughs> not. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> so, but I mean, her her <clears throat> jerkiness at him dancing. Uh, yes, that's what bothers me in front of the ark. Yeah, yeah. Just like, I meet people like now. I meet people like that all the time still. <laughs> so do I, man. Yeah, so do like, I. I think we always will. Yeah. Oh, there, I saw a cool <laughs> quote on that. Let me see if I got it here. I, hang on a second. So, um, okay. Yeah, it's about um, this. This quote came from uh, one of the worship teams that I I really love, um, and they they're constantly getting criticized. Or what you're doing is performance Christianity. It's not real <laughs> yeah. worship. You know that whole thing. Anyway, sure. there's a quote by them. I love it. It says, passion will always seem like performance to the lukewarm. Passion expressed is called pursuit. Oh, <laughs> that's great. Yes. Boom goes the dynamite. <laughs> yes, I love it. So That's awesome. That's awesome. So, uh, yeah, I'm doing good, too, by the way. Uh, had a good week. We... Uh, have, we're in the middle of, in, in youth, my whole life revolves around youth ministry, and right now we're in the middle of uh, um, food Olympics, so uh, <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Yeah, that's... Watching these kids get grossed teaching out. Teaching kids gluttony. Yeah. Now, wait, we are, um, I am walking through Mark, which is awesome <laughs> with the kids, but we do it with a little bit of flair. We're, you know, competing. That's cool. I made them... <laughs> yeah. So what are you... Why is that cool? That you're walking through Mark. I'll get to that in a minute. So, oh, yeah. so what are they doing? What are they doing? They're, they're competing in what? In their food Olympics? Oh, mm-hmm. uh, they're just eating gross food. Yesterday I had them. I got them all uh, cans of alphabet soup. Yeah. And I gave them two minutes to spell as many words as they could uh-huh. using their fingers. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. They had to build towers with marshmallows and, uh, and spaghetti. Um, and let's so see. So they're playing with they their done? food. They're not, <laughs> yeah, they're playing. They're not actually, I mean, it's food Olympics. Okay, so I thought food Olympics was like a pie eating contest to the nth degree. You know. <laughs> well, we did have we did have tuna fish eating contest, which is pretty nasty when you think about it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I play a game with them called "What's in the bag?" What's in the bag? What's in the box? Yeah, but we call it "What's in the bag?" <laughs> what we do is. <laughs> I have a random bag out there, and usually I have four different items. This one was just one item, so I put them all in the same bag, but they have to draw out <laughs> what they're going to eat, and then they have 60 seconds to finish it, or you know, whoever finishes it first wins. That's a lot of fun. <laughs> Youth ministry is so fun sometimes, <laughs> watching them gag on things and just laughing to myself, knowing, yeah, this is ministry. <laughs> So okay, so get, why is it cool? Did you get a bag of uh, Chick Fil A hamburgers for them? Oh, hey, dude! I went to Chick Fil A today. Yeah, how was it? And I asked them if they had a hamburger. Do you know what they said? What? No. <laughs> so apparently, our Chick Fil A at OKC has not gotten with the program. <laughs> 
And she looked at me like I was crazy whenever I asked her, by the way. So thank you for that. You're you're great. Were you messing with me? Yes, totally. Oh, you liar. Oh, man. I even had one of my students who listens to Theonauts go, shout out, by the way, to Rachel and Sheila, Rachel's mom. But I had one of my students go, is that a real thing? I'm like, yeah, David said it. So it has to be true. Way to go, man! So, Way to go. Okay, I gotta, I gotta give props to where this, where this, uh, where this came from, because this is amazing. And I was wanting to tell it to you anyway, but I wanted to pull yeah. it on you first. And however many listeners listened and went and ordered hamburgers at Chick Fil A, yes. But, but anyway, so I got Melanie and I got stranded in Dallas last week. Was it last week? Maybe the week before. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, so Meredith came and got us. Uh, Meredith Niels, who has shown up on Theo Pops. Go listen to the Little Women show. You'll know who we're talking to. So That's a good one. So anyway, yeah. Meredith comes and picks us up. And it's a long, drawn-out ordeal. We're getting home late, and she's like, I've had, I haven't had any supper. Where do you want to go? Do y'all want to go to Chick-fil-A? And I was like, sure. I'm always down for Chick-fil-A, even though I had it for lunch. I was really hoping for a burger. And she goes, well, Chick-fil-A has a secret menu. (laughs) And I'm like, really? She's like, oh, yeah, they got burgers. They just don't advertise it because of the cows, right? Yeah. (laughs) And liar. And I'm looking in my rearview mirror at her. She's hiding behind my headrest. So I can't really read (laughs) what she's probably she's not doesn't have a great poker face so she, right so even, not at all so anyway i was like uh okay and then i was even asking questions i was like how does that make financial sense like why would they do that like why would they Seriously. why would they stock burgers knowing that they may not sell them because no one knows about them? but i'm still stupid enough to say okay yeah i'm down <laughs> Because I can't imagine how great a hamburger would be with Chick-fil-A sauce on it. And I go, we go to Chick-fil-A, and I'm sitting there at the counter. And I look at the guy, and I say, hey, I understand that if I really wanted a burger, you guys could set me up with one. (laughs) And the guy looks at me like I'm insane. Why wouldn't he? And he goes, no, dude. <laughs> and I look over, and Meredith is bent over, like, laughing. And I'm like, you got me so freaking yeah. good. Like, I can't I can't be alone in this, in this failure. I got to bring Jeremiah into this. Oh, you brought me in a hook, a line, and seeker, man. You got me good. <laughs> Thanks a bunch for that. Oh, yeah. Thank <laughs> Meredith. She's the one who started the deal. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't even oh, talk at, at dinner. I was like, <laughs> I, was, I was so like both entertained and embarrassed at the same time. <laughs> Mortified. Yeah. Oh, man. That's great. That's oh, great. It was so good. Oh. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad you did that because I was really open. <laughs> I even almost had Dylan call you and be like, Hey, have you heard about the burgers at Chick Fil A? Because I wanted to make sure that happened. Dude, 
Dude, I bought it straight up because I'm like, you know, I know David. David's my best friend. He'd never lie to me or steer me wrong. And I asked him point blank if he had one, and he said yes. Oh, actually. You lied I, to me. I did not say yes. Go back and listen to the show. <laughs> I told you I ordered one, and that Chick-fil-A sauce was amazing. <laughs> Oh, wow, wow, dude. You'd make a great lawyer. Oh, <laughs> uh, so, so, anyway, okay, anyway the should... reason why I thought it was cool that your boys are walking or your kids are walking through Mark is uh, oh, yeah, is because I'm walking through Mark right now, also, like in my oh, personal wow. Devo, uh, like at a very snail's pace. Like, I'm yeah. taking four or five verses at a time, like one little, you know how Mark is rapid fire. <laughs> this yeah. happened and then this happened and this happened and then this happened. Like, I mean, he's just like, I mean, it's like word vomit. Almost. Through, yeah. But, uh, the thing I love about that is it provides context that I forget about when I'm reading long versions of it. Like, Oh, wait a minute. Jesus calmed the sea right before he went to the, the shore of the of the um, demoniac, yes, where the where the Gentiles were hanging out and the and all that. Right. It's like, oh wait a minute, hmm. There's there's this idea that I was thinking about. Uh, maybe that storm wasn't completely natural. Maybe you know there was there was some <laughs> demonic involvement, not wanting him to go wow. there because the only thing he accomplished was that one guy who met him at the shore, right. Right. And everyone runs him out of town whenever it happens because of the pigs. They're yeah. like, we lost all of our financial support. You're out of here. And and he gets right back on the boat and leaves. The only thing he accomplished there was that guy. Yeah, one divine appointment. Who became a missionary to the Decapolis. That's right. What? Uh, so good. Anyway, I love I'm yeah. loving it. Like I'm I'm really I'm really digging it in. Going going to a deep dive in every single story, and there's all this yeah. meat and potatoes that I haven't really savored much. So sure, that's that's really. Cool. I think uh, <clears throat> we just finished uh, this this Wednesday. We did the uh, the healing of the paralytic. So we're in Mark two. We we barely moved in, and uh, I think so. I used the chosen clip. Dude, Dallas Jenkins gets that so well. He did that so brilliantly, mm. um, especially with the Pharisees looking in and saying, "Where did you, you know, who did you study under? Where, where does your teaching come from? <laughs> right. Who gave you the authority to teach?" Right? It's just, it's a beautiful picture of of God's grace, and then a beautiful picture of the the authority of Jesus, which is what we pointed out. So, anyways, yeah, it's Mark's a good gospel. Yes. I, I, I'm All right. All right. You ready? We need to get into this because, oh, yeah, it's going to be a long one. We got a, a big outline that you've created here for us. So, <laughs> That's right. Okay, here we go. <laughs> All right, what are we doing, man? What's this all about? So we're going to talk about some cancels. All right, so yeah, we are. So this all started uh, earlier this week when I was in my systematic theology three class, and our um, professor brought up the uh, the schism, the great schism, and how 
Some of it was based on the language in the Nicene Creed that was redone, the the word filioque. And so I originally started this study or trying to decide about doing this study when, when it, whenever uh, I was researching the filioque controversy. Um, and it morphed into something completely different that's going to take at least two episodes <laughs> to get through. <laughs> but I wanted to walk through, uh, in my Systematic Theology 2, uh, we spent a great deal of time actually walking through the first seven councils, first seven ecumenical councils, and what they brought about as far as orthodoxy. Um, and I want to talk about mainly... Um, the reason behind these councils, the mis, uh, the misled information out there based on these councils, um, <clears throat> especially in, in mainstream um, media or mainstream hi- uh, history channels, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, the, there's a lot there's of this idea out there. out there. So. Right. There's this idea out there that the first seven councils really created... Uh, Christian Orthodoxy, mm-hmm. right? Or and the canon or nailed, of Scripture, and the canon of Scripture, and all this stuff. Yeah. And I want to put this out first off that these councils did not create Christian Orthodoxy. Christian Orthodoxy was there from the beginning, mm-hmm. and the councils <clears throat> defined, met to define what it was and what it wasn't, to weed out the non-Orthodox beliefs so that we have a fundamental basis of what is defined as a Christian and what is not defined as a Christian. Mm-hmm. And really, these councils met because of heresies <laughs> or other teachings. That's what the word heresy means, by the way, other teaching. That's, how, that's what it's come to being. <laughs> For, <laughs> we, we, we have an episode a long time ago on the real meaning of the word heresy. But <laughs> define heresy for me, because that's what I I've, I forget, man. Heresy. It's been a while. Heresy in the Greek is sect, a sect, right? A sect. In, in fact, in one point, Paul even says, "I belong to the Christian heresy." <laughs> so it, yeah, it's uh, right. It's come to mean those who disagree with orthodoxy, <laughs> but right, <clears throat> but. Even even the meaning other teaching doesn't necessarily negate orthodoxy. It just means it's different from mm. what was the fundamental belief. What was accepted, right? right. Yeah. What was accepted belief um, by the majority of Christians. And even the first council of Nicaea, which is the first one we're going to come into, primarily met to combat one of these heresies. And so I wanted to walk through, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to walk through the the councils, the reason they met, and then the the heresies they combated to come out with, first off, the original Apostles' Creed or Nicene Creed, Mm -hmm. and then the updated Creed, and then lastly, the amendment of Chalcedon, which updated the updated creed, <laughs> <laughs> which is really interesting to see the uh, um, evolution, I guess you'd use the term of this, or redefining of what we believe as Christians. Yes. Um, 
And so a couple mis a uh, couple things I want to state before we even start this. The first one being, oh man, the first one being we have to understand that defining terms uh, and uh, um, words matter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because when we're trying to express something that's pretty much inexpressible, um, we we have to be very delicate with our words and really try to define them out. And that's really why these heresies developed was because misunderstanding or misinterpreting of scripture and then misunderstanding what church fathers were saying. And so we need to understand that going into this. So let's talk about the first council of Nicaea. All that to say, let's talk about the first council of Nicaea. 325 CE AD. 325 CE AD for normal people. CE is the politically correct term now that everybody uses. Because it's not the year of our Lord, actually, right? That's right. We would hate to have that in our dating system. Yeah. Uh, Seriously. (laughs) Let's just call it current era, just so we're all clear. (laughs) Yeah, current era. So... (laughs) <laughs> so uh, Constantine was the emperor at this time of Rome. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christianity had become legalized and was swiftly moving towards the official religion of Rome. Yes. Um, and another thing you need to, need to understand is there are, in the, in the early church at this point, there are bishops, which are kind of the higher-ups. So, for example, there's the Bishop of Constantinople, there's the bishop of Ephesus. There's the bishop of um, of uh, um, oh my goodness, drawing a blank. But the bishops were basically the high ups, and then you had presbyters who were preachers under them, right? Yeah. But the bishops were kind of the the main focus here, and so Constantine, in order to promote unity because he noticed there was a serious issue coming down the pike in Christianity, um, decided to call an ecumenical council. And he is the one that they called the first <clears throat> ecumenical council. They call it the Council of Nicaea. It happened in 325 AD. And the main purpose was threefold. The number one thing they wanted to do was combat what came to be known as Arianism. Yeah. They also wanted to define, have a written, definite orthodoxy. So that's where the creed comes in. Yeah. And the, but the, the overarching theme was create unity within the church. Get all the bishops on one page, basically. Yeah. That was the idea. Yep. And so around 325, actually earlier, there was a dude by the name of Arius, okay? And Arius was a bishop, uh, not a bishop, but a presbyter. And he started teaching something that started being a problem with other bishops. Um, now, in this first century, I want you to think of him as like a uh, celebrity preacher, okay? Right. 
people flocked from all around to hear this guy teach because he was such a good preacher. He was he was amazing, famously known, and he was charismatic, and he was he was he he worked really <clears throat> well at his craft, and well, and he started teaching. Can I go can ahead? I back up just a second? Because absolutely, I think there's something that comes into play here of why Arius goes. <clears throat> into uh, somewhat of a compromising position on some of his um, thinking is that going all the way back to the Apostle Paul, <clears throat> there was a struggle against Gnosticism in the church. Right. And Gnosticism was a Greek, uh, well, actually, Gnosticism predates uh, Christianity, uh, and they glommed on to Jesus, but it has this Greek um, theology basis that says that... Uh, Everything of the flesh is evil, and everything of the spirit is pure and holy. And I think that plays into a lot of this schism that that began to happen uh, that led up to the... Uh, because people started believing, it. well, okay, well, to some degree, that's correct. And it makes perfect sense to me. So I think that that was like poisoning the well a little bit that led into some of yeah. this debate, but, uh, go ahead. <clears throat> yeah, you're, you're exactly right. And, and so he started, he started teaching something that, that seemed a little off by the way. He was, he was in Alexander uh, or Alexandria. Um, and, and he's teaching and his biggest thing is that this is, this was his belief is that Jesus was begotten by God which, I mean, is in Scripture. But because Jesus, he, he got hung up on this word begotten. Because Jesus was begotten by God, he was therefore not eternal. In other words, there was a time when Jesus was not. Does that make sense? Yes. So, so there was a time when it was just God the Father, and then he begot Jesus. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, this this uh, council really met to define what is the true nature of Jesus, and all of these councils have to do subsequently with the nature of Jesus. Wait and a even minute. I thought the whole point of this council was will. to define the Bible, to define the, canon yeah. scripture. <laughs> So yeah, that's a history thing. That is, it, it's a it's a lie, uh, perpetrated <laughs> by a whole bunch of people. One of them being Dan Brown, uh, the great, uh, the great historical yes. scholar, right? Yes. And <laughs> and I say that tongue in cheek because he was not selling author, right? <laughs> What was that quote that you you read about the uh, oh, yeah. the novel being <laughs> yeah, uh, pretty good? Hang on a second, trash novel. Yeah, yeah it was uh, <laughs> so good. Well, the thing that you think happened at Nicaea but didn't happen. <laughs> it was like uh, this idea got a huge boost when Dan Brown repeated it in his garbage town bestseller, The Da Vinci Code. Which sold a lot of people and a lot of fake ideas. 
<laughs> so, contrary to popular belief and Dan Brown, the Council of Nicaea did not meet <clears throat> together to decide what was canon and what was not. In fact, that didn't happen until, well, it was already pretty much established what people, yeah, it was universally accepted. I don't think there was ever an event where it was like, this right. is canon. There wasn't, and these aren't. there wasn't a single event. The uh, The closest thing we have to kind of a single event that solidified it was in 331 Constantine commissions. Um, um, I, I'm going to butcher names all over the place cause I'm really bad at these, but, uh, Eusebius, is that how you would say it? Uh, Eusebius. Yes. Eusebius. Thank you. Eusebius to deliver 50 Bibles to the church of Constantinople. Um, and then Athanasius records, uh, that the uh, Alexandrian scribes, prepared Bibles for uh, the Constants, and at this point, they had canon lists. Mm-hmm. So this is where the first real lists of the Bible the, came of from. Of the New Testament. Of the New Testament yeah. canon. So, the Old Testament had been established long before that, by the way. So I know we're uh, on a little bit of a rabbit trail, but for those yeah. of you listening who may encounter this or whatever about the whole Dan Brown uh what whatever his his theory or his what he states mm-hmm. in the Da Vinci Code. It, it, let, me, let me explain real quick his his source. He gets it from one manuscript uh, that comes from the late ninth century. It's a Greek manuscript yeah. called the uh, Sidonican Vetus, uh, which made some vague references to the Nicene Council and some of the things that happened there. Some of it is really up in the up in the wind and weird, and there's no real other uh, text that supports that this happened at the council, except for a guy by the name of Voltaire who glommed onto it and said that, yeah, this is what happened. They took all these texts and they put it on an altar and said, may God give us the truth, divide this between what's true and what's false, and these books fell off of the altar and whatever was left on there, they were like, that's canon. <laughs> That didn't happen. That did. That did not happen. <laughs> and, and and here's the deal: Dan Brown. Dan Brown had one obscure source that was not even uh, backed up or validated. We have uh, you, we have firsthand accounts by Eusebius, Athanasius, uh, and so many others that were literally in the room when it happened, the council and. Uh, and and give us firsthand reports. The purpose, the whole reason for Constantine to to bring these people together is there are a whole bunch of bishops, especially Athanasius, uh, who's a big big deal. Um, yeah, to preempt this who, whole study, like there's not a point in any of these councils we're going to talk about where canon was established. It's not a bunch of of old codgers that got together to build a religion and picked a handful of, of manuscripts out of thousands and said, this is what we're going to build this religion on. That is a complete nonsense fabrication by Dan Brown and company. That's not what happened. Right. That's not what happened. No. And that's not what these no. councils are about. 
Yeah, the canon was pretty much firmly established by the time this council met. Mm -hmm. They all pretty much agreed on the exact same text uh, of the New Testament. So going back to this, no problem. So where are we? Well, we need to, I I forget, we need to establish that because the misconceptions are there Mm -hmm. all over in pop culture. and uh, People are tweeting this and just taking it as truth and running with it. Yeah, go have some fun. Chasing uh, YouTube uh, rabbit holes and watch people totally butcher what happened, what really happened at the First Council of Nicaea. It's pretty funny. Anyway, so going back to So Athanasius and a whole bunch of other bishops had some serious problems with this dude, Arius, who was a famous preacher by this time. Mm-hmm. I mean, super famous. People were flocking to him, listening to him hanging on his every word and his teaching that was the belief that Jesus was begotten by God and therefore he wasn't eternal. There was a time when Jesus was not. And this raised some red flags to them. So Constantine got everybody together to say, okay, once and for all, let's define the nature of Jesus and let's get down on paper the the orthodox beliefs about God, about Jesus, um, and so that and, and about salvation, so that we we have this defined from here on out. And so they did. They got together and they almost unanimously agreed that Arius was wrong. Um, the only one that didn't really agree was Arius himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and they 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 unanimously agreed based off of a whole bunch of scripture. I'm just going to pull out a couple truths. So uh, Arius got this idea from Colossians 1, where it actually says uh, Jesus is begotten by God. the invisible God. This is verse 15 of Colossians 1. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Yeah, so this idea of firstbornness... um, Arius says, well, since he was the firstborn, that means that that there was a time when he was not. And then also John 3.16, which is probably the most famous right verse mm-hmm. of all, which says, For God so loved the world, they sent his only begotten son, mm-hmm. right? So therefore, he must not have existed at a point. And th- there's a problem with that whenever you're saying that Jesus is God, mm-hmm. because if that's the case then divinity cannot be uh non-eternal. Yeah. It has to have it has to have existed from before time. So and I'm like, keep there's reading. a couple things keep, right. keep reading. Verse yeah. Colossians one's not it doesn't end at verse fifteen. <laughs> so we'll get there, but there's okay. a couple things I want to pull out. And the first one is in the Old Testament. Okay. Specifically Proverbs chapter eight, which is all about wisdom. Right? Yeah. But this is what it specifically says in Proverbs chapter 8, looking at verse 22. Yeah, I got it here. Okay. The Lord, um, it says... You want me to read it? Go ahead. Okay, the Lord... Put, uh, read read uh, verses 22 through 27. Okay. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there was no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. And when he drew a circle on the face of the deep, 
when he made the firm, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep. How far did you want me to go? 20, 29? That's good right okay. there. That's great. So <laughs> this idea of wisdom, quote unquote, existing before the foundations of the world. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, it is a big thing. If you go and you look at first Corinthians chapter one, verse 24, you read this, it says, um, yet to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Mm. Paul identifies Christ as the wisdom of God, which is pretty incredible and you can make that inference take it back to proverbs and see this this chapter is really talking about Jesus mm-hmm. who is the wisdom of God not only that but there there's a plethora of other examples the main one for me being John chapter 1 yeah. right which is uses the word uh, uses the word word or logos. Yes. Right? Yes. Um, which could also be translated as wisdom. And you can see in chapter one of John, in the, in the beginning was the word, mm-hmm. and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in, he was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness does not overcome it. If you jump down to verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Yes. We observed his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. I mean, that establishes that Jesus was there from the beginning, from eternity past. And that he was God. Right? And that he, yeah, he is God, which is a huge thing. The last, uh, the last one I want to look at is Hebrews chapter 1, which you can, uh, if you want to pull up Hebrews chapter 1, um, look at, I mean, we can just start with verse 5 and, and go on for a little bit. Okay. It says... For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will say to him, A father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. And of the angels, he says, He makes his angels win, uh, his angels winds and his minister, ministers a flame of fire. But of the son... He says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. Um, you have loved... <laughs> Let's stop right there. Okay. Look look at that. So this is the writer of Hebrews saying, about the Son, Yahweh God says, your throne, O God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is forever and ever. Okay, keep going. Sorry. He says, You have loved loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, 
and the heavens are the works of your hands, and they will perish. But you remain, and they will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they'll be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not okay. all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Yeah, so the first chapter of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews is trying to make the point that Jesus is superior to angels, um, just so that people would understand that he's above all the rest of the Elohim, Mm -hmm. right? But not only that, I mean, in the beginning, Lord, you established, and God is saying this about Jesus, in the beginning, Lord, you established the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands, they will perish, but you remain. So God says about Jesus that he was there at the beginning in creation, right? Mm-hmm. Establishing the works, right, that God God ordained or the works that God demanded or commanded of him. So Jesus was not only there at creation, but he was an active participant in creation, this makes him the eternal son of God. There was not a time, and this has to do with time, there was not a time where Jesus did not exist. Yeah, etern- Begotten, eternal doesn't mean a bunch of time. It means right. outside of time. Outside no beginning, of time. No beginning, no end. No beginning and no end. And that's a that's a big <clears throat> deal. Um, he is... He is equal with God the Father, um, which is a a big thing. Um, And so Arianism was, by these proofs, shown to be a heresy and thrown out of the teaching. And so they came up with the first original creed of 325, and this is what it says. I'll just read it real fast. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and visible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father, light of light, very God of very God. And here's the kicker, begotten, not made, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. Being of one substance with the Father. So, God the Father is of the same substance as God the Son, or the same nature, okay? Um, By whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate and was made man. He suffered, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven, for there he shall come to judge both the quick and the dead and in the Holy Spirit. (laughs) which we're going to get to that one a little Mm -hmm. bit later. It's really interesting. They tack on this little, oh yeah, we believe in the Holy Spirit. Yeah. (laughs) Thing. But there, you can see through this writing that their whole point of meeting together and discussing and defining their orthodoxy was centered around who Jesus was. And their answer is Jesus is God. Mm -hmm. He's in the same nature as God, 
God begot him but didn't make him. He's light from light, right? All these all these images that they're bringing up. So that was the first council. Now hold on, we have five more to go tonight. <laughs> <laughs> the second council met pretty quick right after that, and it was in 381 CE, and the emperor then was Theodosius the first. And the main reasons they met were to combat three different heresies and to hash out a little bit more on that whole Holy Spirit clause. Yeah. So they combated, again, Arianism, Arianism, right? Mm -hmm. Apollinarianism and Sabellianism. Now, this is really interesting. Why in the world are they having to meet back and combat Arianism? Well, you know how a preacher, whenever he's so popular that everybody listens to him, it's going to take a very, very long time for his doctrine, if it's an error, to go out of (laughs) teaching. And so there were still people spouting out this begotten thing, even after they defined it with the Nicene Creed. And uh, there there were still people who were believing in this Arianism thing. And so... They wanted to reaffirm their position on Arianism and define it outright. No, this is heresy. This is not true. At, but at the first with council the com- of Constantinople. Oh, yeah. It was the first council of Constantinople. It, it, yeah, Istanbul was Constantinople. That's right. Now it's in Istanbul. It's Constantinople. Anyways, so no, th- this Istanbul, is a- not Constantinople. <laughs> That's right. Was Constantinople. Why did Constantinople get the works? Uh, how it had to do with the Turks, didn't it? <laughs> it's nobody's business but I, the Turks. But the Turks, that's right. Something like that. Dude, I'm not that old. All right. Anyway, <laughs> anyway so. If you got a date uh, in Constantinople, other... she'll be waiting in Istanbul. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Sorry. The other, uh... I digress. <laughs> You're fine. You're totally taking me off track, and we still got five more. Come on, let's go. All right. So the other two main heresies they were combating, combating were Apollinarianism and Sibelianism. Um, we've already discussed Arianism, but Apollinarianism arose as a answer to Arianism. Mm-hmm. Uh, Apollinarius was another bishop who went to fight <laughs> against Arianism and overcorrected. And you're going to see this theme throughout everything. Yeah. He says that, no, no, no. So we need to really understand the nature of Jesus. Yes, he's he is God. He is so God that the physical man Jesus was nothing but like an automaton. Mm. Okay? So... My uh, my professor calls this space spacesuit Jesus. <laughs> so the idea is that you go in and you put on a spacesuit or any kind of suit, yeah. and you're moving that suit, but that suit's not really a part of you. <laughs> the real part of you is you know your flesh inside the suit. Yeah. And so he says basically that Jesus did not have a human mind or soul. This idea of this. In the in the original Greek, it's vaus, okay, vaus, mm-hmm. and the idea is this human substance, mind or soul. Yeah. Instead, his mind was God's wisdom made manifest. All right, mm-hmm. again with this idea of wisdom. This starts leaning um, toward um, not the Gnostic way of thinking. 
Where yes. Jesus didn't leave. Very heavily. He didn't leave footprints in the sand. You know all that. Right. Sort of thing. He's. He, yeah, the Gnostics would say that Jesus is really a spiritual or Manichaeism. Jesus is really a spiritual being. Mm-hmm. Not he didn't even really have a physical body, right? right. He just appeared. Right. So, uh, Apollinarianism would say, you know, Jesus had a physical body, but it really, it was just, it was basically an outside shell with which God worked like a mannequin, his little like a puppet, like a mannequin, exactly. Well, there's some problems with this. First off, you're erring on the side of the divine. I get what you're trying to do, Apollinarius, but you're going too far the other way from Irenaeus. Our, um, what you're saying is that since he's spacesuit Jesus, <laughs> you're missing the word flesh, understanding the word flesh, which encompasses, the, the original word flesh encompasses the mind, body, mm-hmm. and spirit, meaning the whole man. Yeah. Um, by the way, Apollinarius said, oh, by the way, this is why Jesus couldn't sin, because he was literally God. Just God, yeah. Yeah, just God in a, in a man suit. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm reminded of uh, Men in Black. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Dude, the, that's a great analogy. The, the guy that, the bug that puts on yeah, the yeah. Edgar suit, yeah. <laughs> it was like he was wearing him like a suit. <laughs> That's great. So there's a couple problems with this. First (laughs) off, what do you do with Luke chapter Mm 2, verse 52, which states that Jesus grew grew in wisdom and in nature and in, uh, what is it, fellowship with fellow man or something? I can't remember the the verse. But basically it says that Jesus grew in wisdom and nature. He can't do that if he's literally divine God in a space human suit. Yeah. Um, not only that, but Hebrews 4.15 tells us that he was tempted in every way, mm-hmm. yet without sin. Yeah. And not only that, but here's the biggest kicker. If, if God is just simply fully, or if Jesus is simply just fully divine and not human, he can't, number one, identify with us in our sin. Right. And number two, he can't redeem us from our sin. Right. So, like, he must be. What would be the whole point? Yeah. Like, what we talked last week about the baptism of Jesus, where his the main point to that was to identify with us as sinners mm-hmm. who needed to be sinned, right? Or who needed to be saved. Yeah. Yeah. This this idea denotes that Jesus really didn't go through any trials, any pain, mm-hmm. um, any suffering. And it it also denotes that he didn't he he can't identify with us as as humans. Um, he must be fully human in order to be the propitiation of our sin. He must be. So he's got to be fully God and fully man. All right. So mm-hmm. took care of Apollinarianism. Boom. All right. Now they have to answer Sibelius and Sibelianism. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um. Sibelius believed God had to be one deity playing three distinct roles. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So there's this, 
there's this mystery of the Trinity, right? Oh my goodness. Sorry, I'm getting all these things. Okay, so there's this history of the or there's this mystery in the Trinity where God is one person uh with or yeah, God is one uh God is one three in one three persons in one God, right? Yeah. That's the idea, the triune God. And it's really hard, by the way, you cannot come up with an analogy to truly describe the Trinity. Every every description fails. Every single yeah. one. At some yeah. point it drops off. Um and you can err into modalism and all this other stuff. And by the way, uh Sibelianism is kind of the early form of modalism that takes shape later on in the next centuries. Um, but this this sounds almost correct. So God is one, but he shows himself in at separate times as three distinct persons, right? Well, there's some problems with this. <laughs> His idea was literally that that God would show up as Jesus God would show up as God the Father at some points. God would show up as the Holy Spirit after Jesus leaves and sends the <clears> Holy <throat> Spirit, right? Yeah. Not not correct. There's there's serious issues about this. Uh the baptism of Jesus is a good example of this where you have the three All persons three. of the Trinity yeah. showing yeah. up at the same time. Yeah. It's not like hang on uh, a second. It's not like Clark Kent and Superman <laughs> where all of a sudden it's right. like Wait a minute, where did Clark Kent go? <laughs> Superman. <laughs> Superman showed up and Clark missed right. it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where does he keep going? He's such, such a coward. He runs yeah, he's from never all the... here when or... Superman shows up. What's the, what's the deal? It's like John, John right. the Baptist is sitting there holding spacesuit Jesus as he jumps up into the sky and goes, that's my yeah. son. Jumps up in the sky <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, that's my son. I'm well pleased with him. And then, bam, back down into the space. Suit. Right, he throws his voice up in the sky. Yeah. And then, yeah. oh, wait, hold on. I got to be a, wait, wait, a wait, dove wait, now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, another, another, nice uh, another, right, another scripture that uh, refutes this is the Great Commission found in Matthew 28. Uh, where Jesus specifically says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, right? He's mm-hmm. Jesus is literally identifying the three persons of God in this mm-hmm. passage and making them distinct. They have to be distinct. So they are one, or the, but they are three, and that was a that was a big deal. Uh, and so, not only that, but there was a lot of great confusion about the Holy Spirit. Is the Holy Spirit God? Because the first early draft of the Nicene Creed just basically threw it out there. Oh yeah, and we believe in the oh, Holy yeah, Spirit. We believe in that stuff. <laughs> so they needed to define the Holy Spirit. Now, this is what they came up with in answer to that. We believe the in one God, and, and you can... Oh, sorry. That's 
Yeah, the canon of scripture, but they updated their creed <laughs> stance. They updated their creedal stance oh, okay. in 381. They they wrote this to explain this. They said, "We believe in God, the Father of the Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father." And this is they and they put this in in order to combat Arianism even more. Before all worlds. <laughs> oh, okay. And then they yeah. said, light from light, yep, very God from very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things are made, who for us men and for our salvation came down, and then they put in, from heaven, and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary. Now that phrase is going to come into some problems <laughs> later on. Mm, we're going to need another council. And was made years. man. That's right. Uh, <laughs> he was, and they, they put this under crucified for us under Pontius Pilate and suffered and was buried. And on the third day rose again, according to the scriptures. I love uh, yeah, how they, yeah. they put that one in Solo there. Scripture. According to the, Go back to the scriptures, yeah. right? Don't don't pontificate. Go back to what scripture says. Um, and also they put in the focus that Jesus was physically crucified. Mm. This is a big deal for that spacesuit Jesus thing, right? right? right. Um, and ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again with glory to judge both the quick and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And then they added this entire amendment. This is what they said. And in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. So in saying the Lord, they're identifying the Holy Spirit as God, Mm -hmm. right? The giver of life, again, as God, who proceedeth from the Father. Now, originally it said from the Father, and then they added this addendum, and the Son. That's going to come into play with a great schism. Mm -hmm. This is going to be a problem who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified. There's the three in one. With the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified. Who spake by the prophets. Jesus spake by the prophets. God the Father spake by the prophets. The Holy Spirit spake by the prophets. Mm. And holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. In other words, we're all united under this. We believe in the holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. There's one body you can't be not a part of us. Yeah, <laughs> that's what they're reminder to everybody: the word Catholic here is not denominational. It means no that uh, worldwide. It means universal. Universal. That's right. So. Mm-hmm. I acknowledge. By the way, they changed it from "we" to "I" here. This is a, a creedal confession by this mm-hmm. point, and they made them do this creedal confession before they were baptized. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look forward to the resurrection of the dead and life of the world to come. Amen. <laughs> That's it. So that was their amendment. And they're thinking, all right, we got it. We nailed it down. We're all good. Yeah, we're not going to have to do this nope. for years. <laughs> we got it. Well, they waited. They waited a little bit longer. Uh, th- uh, Four thirty-one. They had to have another ecumenical council. <laughs> this time, it was the Council of Ephesus under mm. Theodosius II, his son. 
in this one, they had to, there were some more heresies that popped up um, because of their uh, addendums to the Apostolic Creed. Yeah. Um, and they were specifically, this was, this uh, council or synod was con- uh, specifically convened to combat Nestorianism and to also universally as the Catholic Church or the Universal Church condemn Pelagianism <laughs> once and for all. Um, so Pelagianism, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. We can talk a little bit about it, but it's the heresy of Pelagius who basically said that um, uh, uh, original sin didn't exist, right? The idea mm-hmm. that original sin is not is not biblical the idea that we're not born really in our sin but we choose to sin willingly and then mm-hmm. augustine the great church father of hippo comes and says no nope, that's not right original sin exists and we're all born into it according to romans and uh mm-hmm. so they universally said yeah we side with augustus that's not the main point though we have to deal with this nestorianism thing so there's a dude so by the name what of is nestorius uh, Ah, good question. Yeah, lay it on. So me. there's who, a dude. Who but then, the in order to understand that, okay. you gotta understand Cyril, uh or Cyril. He was the bishop mm-hmm. of Alexandria during this time. And he began to use the term Theotokos. And it was actually written in he was at the first council of uh Constantinople, the council before this, and was one in of the Istanbul. Uh, yeah, one of the big uh, proponents of using the term theotokos uh, to refer to Mary, okay? Um, theotokos mm, means... Mother of God, right? The mother of God. Well, <clears throat> now this is really interesting today because we as Protestants can look back and we can see how Cyril kind of overstepped too in venerating Mary <laughs> and it ended up becoming, this is the, this is the roots of the veneration of Mary. It's going to take a really wicked turn later, but Cyril really meant all he meant was that he was combating this idea of, uh, um, uh, Apollinarian or no Sabellianism, which said that basically that, uh, playing three distinct roles mm-hmm. um, and this idea of modalism, right? Of, <laughs> of basically Jesus not being really human. And he wanted to reinforce that idea that Jesus was really human by saying, no, he was born in the flesh of the Virgin Mary, right? So he says, Theotokos, the mother of God. Mary is the mother of God. Well, there's a dude by the name of Nestorius, who didn't like this term. <laughs> and his his reasoning is deity cannot be born. There's mm-hmm. no way that deity can be born. Again, we're questioning the very nature of Jesus here. <laughs> and to say that Mary is the mother of God is to say that Mary birthed God, and that's not okay with me. And so he took it to great extents, he misinterprets Cyril, goes too far in his correction, and he comes up with what's called doppelganger Jesus. <laughs> I like to call it doppelganger Jesus. Okay. And this is 
um, Nestorius distinguishes between Jesus's humanity and divinity. Basically, so he, he, he says switches, there, he switches as it needs to. I'm gonna be God. Yes, I'm, I'm gonna be man. Let's switch it out. Right. Exactly. So basically, Jesus had these two natures inside him. Mm-hmm. He had the Jesus man nature, and he had the Jesus God nature. And depending on what was happening, mm-hmm. he could draw on the Jesus God nature, or he could draw on the Jesus man this nature. Is, this is right? Shazam Jesus. Yes, Shazam Jesus. That's a good way to put that out. Jesus goes, Shazam! Water to wine. Lightning strikes him. <laughs> He's Thor Jesus. Yeah. He just there changes. Like, uh, what was the, the kid's name? Billy. You know, he went from Billy to Shazam. Right. Captain Marvel. Shazam. So this sounds a lot like space juice, space suit Jesus, except in this in this vernacular, Jesus has a a man, a human nature, but he also has a divine nature, and these two natures reside within him. Well, there's there's some problem with this. Mm-hmm. Again, the whole redemption of man thing is a big deal. Yeah. Um, not only that, basically what what uh, Nestorius was saying is Jesus didn't die, or God incarnate didn't die on the cross. Well, if there's no God dying on the cross, there's no redemption mm-hmm. for sins. That's a problem, right? Um, his uh, There's some other contradictions here. Hebrews 2.14, going back to that, let's look at it again. They had to continually come back to these passages that talked about the Jesus, uh, the nature of Jesus. Hebrews two fourteen specifically says, um, "Let me read it." Yep. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy. The one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. So Jesus also shared in flesh and blood, incarnate, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's Jesus God. They're talking about deity of Jesus is shared in the flesh and blood. He was fully God and fully human. Now mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that he had two natures. He had one nature which was fully God and fully human. It's a big deal, okay? So um, the other, let's see, John one fourteen. You look that one up, and I'll look up Galatians 4.4. John one fourteen is what you're looking up. Okay. John 1, verse 14. You want me to read it? Yep. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. <coughs> the Word became flesh, mm-hmm. literally. God the Father sent his Son who became flesh. And then the last one, when the time came to completion, this is Galatians 4.4, 4, 
God sent his son, and then it says specifically, born of a woman, born under the law. So Cyril was right. Mary did beget God the son, mm-hmm. Jesus. He was, born, he was literally born of a woman, born under the law. This is a misunderstanding of the um, <clears throat> incarnation uh, and a misunderstanding of <coughs> sorry, oh man, misunderstanding of the deity of Jesus. So, as fully human and fully man. Um, so again, uh, the Nicene Creed was updated to combat these views. Um, and added, oh, no, 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 I'm sorry. So they basically combated Nestorianism and they universally condemned Pelagianism, but they didn't really update the Nicene Creed. That wouldn't come come until two more councils. And I put these next two together (laughs) because they were basically the same, arguing over the same thing, Although they happened over a hundred years, years. <laughs> apart. <laughs> from, apart from each other, mm. so there was a hundred years of this debate going on. The Council of Chalcedon in 451 CE, uh, which was uh, again years. Theodosius the, yeah, after the second. That was uh, twenty years after the Ephesus. Council of Ephesus, where they basically just reaffirmed everything that they had said. Hey, this is yeah. what we believe, and then the second years. council. Yeah. Right. The Second Council of Constantinople, which happened 100 years later in 553 uh, mm-hmm. CE, this and that was under in Emperor Istanbul. Justinian the First. Right. Sorry. <laughs> it's still Constantinople, <laughs> by the way. Not Istanbul yet. Uh, why did Constantinople get Turks? <laughs> something about the Turks. Okay. So this one's really interesting to me. Uh, <laughs> they they convened this ecumenical synod at Constantinople um, to reverse the rulings of what they deemed the robber synod, which was the second council of Ephesus, oh, yeah. which wasn't an ecumenical mm. council. Have you ever heard of that? The robber synod? It's no, really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Easy to do. The main reason they did this years was, after it happens. <laughs> so yeah, and by the way, the the person they were combating in this one had died in 456. Mm. Yeah, so they were condemning him a hundred yeah. years after he had died. Uh, Eutyches, this is his name. He was the presbyter of Constantinople, and he was actually one of Cy- uh, Cyril's preachers. So Eutyches <laughs> didn't like. Nestorius fighting against Cyril. He hated it. And he erred on the other side. Mm. <laughs> so where where uh Nestorius went to spacesuit Jesus, Eutyches went to the other side and he taught purple Jesus, what I call purple Jesus. <laughs> okay. Okay. This is it's where really they start weird. wearing purple. Yeah, basically. No. All right. Nice, by the way. Um, <laughs> this Eutyches taught that the divine nature is uh, divine nature literally swallowed up the human nature, creating one divine <laughs> nature. 
This is also called monophysitism. <laughs> so this is really uh, weird, okay? <laughs> so, in other words, no, 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 no. There can't be, there can't be two. There's one. And the divine nature literally swallowed up the the human nature mm-hmm. at the at the incarnation okay so this is a major problem on um a lot of levels <laughs> so yeah. uh the the main main thing is so this is called by the way monophysitism um it fails to maintain the human nature of Jesus. So again, you're going back and forth debating about the human or divine nature of Jesus. And this basically said there's one divine nature, no human nature in Jesus. Okay? So it sounds, again, a lot like spacesuit Jesus. It's kind of like spacesuit Jesus revisited, only it's it's purple Jesus in that... It's a new thing. Does that make sense? So red and blue make purple, <laughs> right? Red, divine, okay. blue, physical, purple Jesus. <laughs> okay, gotcha. That's the idea there. Um, so from this, and I've already given you the scriptures that combat this. We've read through mm-hmm. them already. Uh, they came up with the term hypostatic union of Christ. Hypostatic union <laughs> yes, basically yes. just just means fully no 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 he's fully God and he's fully man fully man fully God Repeat fully after man. me hypostatic <laughs> union all right all right they uh, so they found they they decided at this point okay we got to go back to the creed and make some distinctions here so they put in a whole appendix to the Creed of Nicaea. And this is what they said, and I'm just going to read it. We then, and this is the amendment, they called it the Amendment of Chalcedon in 451. We then, following the Holy Fathers, all with one consent, teach men to confess one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the same perfect in Godhead and also perfect in manhood, Truly God and truly man of a rational soul and a body. Notice these distinctions they have to make. Language is important. Co-essential with the Father according to the Godhead. In other words, he's equal with the Father. Co-essential. They're both essential. With the Father in the Godhead. And consubstantial with us according to manhood. In other words, just like us according to his manhood side. In all things likened to us without sin, begotten before all the ages of the Father according to the Godhead, and in these latter days for us and for our salvation, born of the Virgin Mary, the mother of God, there's that term again, according to the manhood, according to the manhood, I love how they inserted that, one and the same Christ, Son and Lord, only begotten to be acknowledged in two natures, without confusion, without change. He didn't change into something new. Without division. He did, they're not devised. His two, two natures mm. 
are not divided without separation. The distinct Take off your purple spacesuit. That's right. The distinction of natures being by no means taken away by the union, but rather the property of each nature being preserved and concurring in one person and one substance, not parted or divided into two persons. Man, they seem like they're beating a dead horse here, but they want to make sure because they've been fighting this for good. Yeah. You know, it's it's four fifty one now. They started yeah, this, this in two thirty five. That's right. Um, By one and the same God, the only begotten God of word, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the prophets from the beginning have declared concerning him, and the Lord Jesus Christ himself has taught us, and the creed of the Holy Fathers has handed down to us, period. No more. No more. There was more. (laughs) 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 They had to have yet another council but they didn't ever amend the creed after that they were like uh, we're done with words we're just going to call it heresy whenever it doesn't line up with yeah. this we're done with it we're, <laughs> we're done for 100 years or so come on right. back in 100 years and let's talk about this again that's exactly what happened the third council of constantinople convened under constantine the fourth it's not istanbul yet nope this one uh <laughs> happened over 680 to 681 ce And its main point was to combat one more heresy here, monothelitism, or monothelitism. I can't say that right. (laughs) Uh, Sergius I said that Jesus, although having two natures, he agrees with that. He's got, you know, he's fully God and fully man. He only has one will. So he only (laughs) has a divine will. Yeah. Jesus... So this is stupid. Like this is this is to me this is the dumbest heresy that's out there out of all of them, because it literally states in uh, a couple places in Scripture that Jesus had his own will apart from the Father, right? Apart from mm-hmm. the divine will, um, he had a human will. Um, Luke twenty two forty two. Uh, let's look at that, which we all know is, is the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. And this is what it says. <laughs> 2.22. No, when 20. The time. Which no, one? Which one? Luke 22.42. Oh, 22.42. Yeah. I'm sorry. So Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and this is what he says. Father, if you were willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, Mm. not my will, but yours be done. There are two wills here. Nod. (laughs) Nudge, nudge. Wink, wink. 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 (laughs) But we both know... Yeah. It's the same thing. Right, right. It's you know, we, we have the same will, but I'm just gonna say this in scripture to to make it look like I'm really suffering here. No, yeah. the Bible specifically said he was sweating drops of blood, he was he was anguished to the point of death, right? About what he had to go through. He did not. Jesus this is one of the biggest scriptures for me. That makes me identify with Jesus, by the way. Um, if I can bring it to a spiritual point, uh, 
because this shows me that Jesus was fully human, right? Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. he did. Jesus did not want to go to the cross. He didn't want to die like that. He was anguished about going to the cross. Of course not. Yeah. Yeah. He he literally sweat drops of blood. But what's cool about this is Jesus allows the Father's will to be done. Not my will, but yours be done. And, by the way, this is taken out of context sometimes to to make the statement that Jesus, uh, God the Son, is somehow subservient to God the Father. That's not what this is showing at all. Jesus, and it's even more powerful when you think about it like this, Jesus, as the suffering servant, God the Son, was full of humility and compassion to the point where he willingly went under the Father's will, even though he was co-equal with the Father. Mm -hmm. That's powerful, man. That will preach, right? That's a great (laughs) picture of uh, a servant who dies for us and and a great picture of what we should be like. He is co-equal with God, and yet he chooses willingly to, to go under the will of God. And so this was like pretty much a slap done deal. This wasn't a big heresy. Um, it was, it was obvious in scripture, uh, that, that Jesus had a will separate from the divine will of, of God, the father. And so this was thrown out and those are the six, uh, those are the six dun, dun, dun. ecumenical councils that this is this is a bunch of guys getting together to create a religion. <laughs> yeah, that after reading through this it doesn't sound like they're creating a religion. What it sounds like is that <laughs> they're trying to understand the the orthodoxy that's there and that's the biggest thing. Orthodoxy existed a long time before these councils ever convened. Yeah, yeah. Orthodoxy was there from the beginning. And we as humans are struggling to find the truth. We struggle to find it. And we have the scripture that guides us into all truth. And that's what these guys did. They said, okay, so what you're thinking is this. Let's go back and compare this with other scripture. And using scripture, interpreting scripture, they define, no, God's orthodoxy says this. God's truth says this. This is what it's about. And it, it was it was a knockdown drag out for, for some years to find the, the true nature of Jesus because... It's something that we as humans, I mean, I still don't understand it. I can't really understand the mystery of the incarnation. I can't really Mm -hmm. understand the mystery of the Trinity. Of the Trinity, yeah. I know it's there, and I know this is what it is, but I don't understand how it works. Well, and that's part of the beauty to me of the fact that we're dealing with God, right? Is that... Do we really expect to understand this all? Like, it's God. <laughs> like, like his ways are not our ways. Isaiah told us that, right? His right. thoughts are not our thoughts. Not our thoughts. And and even though we are Imago Dei, we are in his image, it is a lesser dimensional image than what he is. So 
Yeah, it's just it boggles my mind that we have to try and understand God all the way down to the nth degree, and it's like that's not going to happen. Right. Like that's part of part of my problem with a lot of these isms that have existed forever is people trying to put God <laughs> in a box and say yeah. this is what God is, and this is how He acts, and this is how He thinks, and it's like right. it's okay not to know. <laughs> right. It's okay. Right. Like. Right. Let's know what He tells us. And let's right. grasp that stuff, but let's right. not get caught up in trying to yeah. figure out his nature to to the nth degree. Yeah, and I, I think some of the beauty and then the tragedy of these ecumenical councils was a whole bunch of bishops, teachers, theologians getting together and hashing that out. Right? Mm-hmm. They they were they were trying desperately to uh, to understand the the truth. And so they could define the truth. They could write these grandiose statements, the Apostles' Creed, the amended Apostles' Creed, the, the amended <laughs> amended Apostles' Creed, and it's truth, and it makes sense, it's right, but they can't fully understand it. There's no way they can. And neither can you, and neither can I, and that's the beauty of who no. God is and what he does. So anyways, that's orthodoxy in a nutshell. Now you know the nature of Jesus, go back to them creeds, check it out. They're pretty cool. Uh, and <laughs> it's really funny if you, what my favorite, one of my favorite things about this whole thing is that you can take these creeds and break them down and see how they point to the various heresies that they were trying to fight. No, 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 mm. no, no, no. Of the substance, right? <laughs> <It's> like <laughs> This is what we're saying. <laughs> this is what we say when we mean this, right? Yeah. It's almost like a Monty Python skit. <laughs> yes, it is. It's so great. I love it. <laughs> Anyways, that's what I got. I think that uh, we should probably leave at this point because uh, <laughs> it's been a long one, and uh, I was going to give you some news, but I'll save it for next week when David does uh, we'll do that. something. So you ready to get out of here? <laughs> yes. I've actually got all my uh, my ducks in, in notes do you, nice. do you have your do you have your i got it man machine? let's do it all right the theonauts are part of the great commission transmission network using new media and social networking to go into all the world and proclaim the good news to everyone check out our pop culture podcast whenever we make another one theopop Find it on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or your favorite podcast catcher. And be sure to rate us because that helps us reach a larger audience. There are several ways that you can contact us. You can leave us feedback and send us an email to info at theonotspodcast.com or call us on our voicemail line. 972-885-7270. You can find us on Instagram using at theonautical. Or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash theonauts. Where are we? Oh, if you like us <clears throat> and want even more Theonauts, drop us a buck or two at patreon.com slash theonauts. Your patronage helps in our expenses like hosting fees and equipment costs. Don't forget to tune in again and explore the vast reaches of God's word with us. All right. Jeremiah, thanks for being here finally. David, thanks for being here too. This has been the Theonauts Podcast. Call us with your questions or comments at 972-885-727.
Tuned in to the GCT Network. This is your great commission transmission at GCTnetwork.com. This is your great commission transmission. Don't you ever get tired of just reading about things? Yes. What are you doing tonight? Nothing. Are you game, Vi? Let's make a night of it. Oh, I'd love it, Georgie. What do we do? Let's go out in the fields and take off our shoes and walk through the grass. Huh? Then we can go up to the falls. It's beautiful up there in the moonlight. And there's a green pool up there, and we, we can uh, s swim in it. Then we can climb Mount Bedford and smell the pines and watch the sunrise against the peaks, and we'll stay up there the whole night, and everybody will be talking. There'll be a terrific scam. Georgie, what have about you it? gone crazy? No, Why, walk in the grass in my bare feet? <laughs> Why, it's 10 miles up to Mount Bedford. Oh, 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 oh,